Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we're going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to our hearts, rheumatic disease, or as it's still very commonly known, at rheumatoid arthritis. When Courtney was 22, she received her diagnosis, and this has been something that she struggled with every day since. And today, she tells us her story. Content warning, expect foul language, but also be prepared for some conversations about the medical system, mental health, chronic illness, and trauma. Let's get ready for another Human Exception. Why am I blinking? Because your eyes are dry. Oh, no, my other... <laughs> my, com- my computer was blinking. That's pretty good. That was... Because <laughs> your eyes are dry? <laughs> I was like, how did you know? My eyes are always dry. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I, I got an audacity record. Oh, press that button too. Does a duck uh, with a boner drag weeds? Probably not because of our corkscrew. True that. But if the weeds are tall enough, they'd probably get caught. It depends on the weed, I guess. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> I don't like any of this. I just. <laughs> Ducks. Duck dicks? Duck dicks? Oh. What? What don't you like? None of it. I like ducks. (laughs) You don't like ducks? No, I love ducks. Oh. I don't want to think about corkscrew dicks. Oh. I won't tell you about echidnas. Um, um, yeah, um, um, okay, cat. Welcome back to the human exception. Yep. Talking about duck dicks. Duck dicks and a very old geriatric cat who's angry at me. Same old, same old. Yeah, she's just mad because I shut her out of the office. You a horrible uh, person, you? I'm a horrible person. I, I was trying to prevent her from yelling at me. And she <laughs> yelled at me anyways, so I give up. Oh. <clears throat> Hallie, have you seen the the TikToks where girl the girl takes her pet ducks to Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks to get them water? And they drink water out of the cups. I'm going to stop you at TikTok. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. But um, if anything is going to get you. TikTok. Okay. But the ducks drink water and it's adorable. <laughs> um, like I want a little duck to take to fucking Starbucks with me. Good ducks. Ice water. Um. Yeah. It's all you need on TikTok. Ice water ducks. Ice water ducks and and Kanto recaps. Because I watched Encanto when I was sick, and it was the only bright part of that whole week, even though I cried the entire time. It's a good movie. It's a good movie, but it will make you cry. 
that's that's true yeah i um yeah you know watch it we we won't have that level remember we we got to ease her into the animation (laughs) no 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 it's not the animation i i made the very dumbass mistake of watching up two weeks before i got married no (laughs) i can't watch like a dumbass no and I've forever been ruined. So I just stick to my Ratatouille and my Monsters, Inc. It's, it's not say. like, it's not up levels. It's not sad. like up. It's not up levels of no, sad. No. Oh, okay. It's, no. That's good to know. it's like crying it's... bits of happiness and cuteness. Okay. okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's being redeemed. I will, I will take that under advisement. <clears throat> this is not about how easily I ball animated movies. We're, <laughs> we are we are here to talk about other things. Hello, cat. I was gonna say we're gonna cry about other things today. Yay! Um, <clears throat> um yeah, so I'm gonna start this off with a couple a couple things. A disclaimer, first of all, I am not a medical profession. Um, but this is partly my story. So if if you're listening and you're listening to some of the medical stuff and you're like, that doesn't sound right, or that's not the way that goes, that's cool. Uh, I will have my sources linked, but most of this is about my lived experience and not necessarily uh, textbook stuff. Um, the other disclaimer is I'm doing something that I don't normally do on the show, and I'm going to start by reading something that I wrote ahead of time instead of... <laughs> Like, maybe I should as a professional. I'm not a professional. Yeah, we're prof- I'm just, <laughs> I'm just we're a fuck on the internet. I'm just a fuck on the internet. Um, but I'm going to read this because um, I tried to dry run it without reading something, and it uh, didn't didn't work very good. So we're going we're gonna to do this. Before you do that, it. what are you talking about? I'm going to get there. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you, I didn't, you had an introduction. Okay. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I got to, I, I, prof- I professionalized this whole thing. All right, um, I'll let you do so your I, thing. Yeah, I'm very proud of myself, actually, <laughs> <laughs> for writing it out. Um, yeah, um, so I'm going to start out by asking everybody to stick with me on this. It's going to seem disjointed and convoluted and, and not like it makes any sense as to something that we'd be talking about today. You'll probably be sitting there like, Courtney, quit talking about your life again. Um, but I promise we'll get there together and it will make sense in the end. So this started 12 years ago when I was 21. I worked nights and on my way home one Alaskan summer night, I got hit by a drunk driver. I survived. Obviously, I'm here and chatting with all of you. Um, I had no obvious damage. <clears throat> I had been concussed. I was in shock. My car was totaled. The trooper who arrived on scene thought I was dead on arrival, um, but that was not the case. I was able to go home that night with no um, <laughs> no obvious issues. Um, it took me about a month to get my life sort of kind of back to normal, replace my car, shake off the anxiety of driving, um, learn to talk to my parents and ask them for help with things. Um, and by then our state fair was up and running and my job asked me to switch from working nights to working days and to help run our company booth. So because of this, I was spending a lot of time standing on concrete floors instead of sitting at my comfy desk. And after the first day or two, 
of standing and sitting on this floor, I started to notice pain in my hips. The pain got so bad that I could barely walk, and I had to get to work an extra 10 minutes early just to make it inside on time. Um, I kept telling myself it was just from the floors, and it was because I wore cheap shoes to work because they were cute, um, and eventually the pain went away and things went back to normal. And then the pain started to show up in my hands. Uh, it felt like shards of glass had replaced my bones and joints. Every time I touched something, it felt like that glass shattered. Um, it didn't matter if I was just bending my fingers, if I touched the keys on my keyboard, or if I was doing something as easy as turning the key in my car ignition. As soon as I touched something, um, it was like an explosion in my, my hands. Um, but I pushed it off again. I convinced this that it was overwork from sitting on the computer and working on, on the computer for so long. Um, at this point, I'd done my job for a couple years. Um, and I thought maybe it's carpal tunnel. Once the holidays are over, I will make time to go to a doctor. Um, so I kept pushing it off until I had dinner with my parents. And uh, I went to say grace with them. And my little brother grabbed my hand enthusiastically because he's a sweetheart. And it felt like uh, every single bone in my hand that existed and maybe some that didn't had broken. And I immediately burst into tears. Uh, I'm not a crier. Uh, so this was very abnormal for me. And my parents were understandably concerned and asked me what was wrong. And I said, I've, I've been working on the computers too much. I'm, I'm gaming too much. I'm just using my hands too much. And it's maybe just carpal tunnel. My mom looked me in the eyes and she said, you know, it's not just carpal tunnel. And she was right. That next month I got my diagnosis. Just like my mom, I had rheumatoid arthritis. Just like my mom, I would be dependent on medications for the rest of my life. Just like my mom, I'd have to plan my entire life around my medication schedule, doctor's appointments, blood draws, and an unpredictable, nasty, chronic pain condition. I had just turned 22. So, what is rheumatoid arthritis? Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, although there has been a push to stop calling it arthritis and starting to call it rheumatic disease or rheumatoid disease, is a chronic inflammatory disorder that affects your joints, but it can also affect a wide variety of systems in your body, including your skin, eyes, lungs, heart, blood, and blood vessels. Um, so what happens is your body's immune system mistakenly attacks your own body's tissue. They can't tell the difference between um, what is good and part of the system and what is an invader like a virus or bacteria. Um, so what happens is um, typically, classically, in rheumatoid arthritis, your immune system will attack the synovial fluid between your joints. It's kind of like a lubricant between your joints that helps keep your joints moving smoothly. Um, and your body will attack that fluid. It'll cause swelling in that area. It'll eat away at the fluid and it can cause um, damage and swelling. Um, eventually your bones will erode and your joints can become really deformed. So if you've ever seen like the classic witch depictions where they have like those gnarled, knobby looking fingers, typically those women probably had some kind of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it can also affect other parts of your body as well. Um, one of the other things that 
you can run into are things like dry eyes, dry mouth. Um, some people have problems where they suddenly lose a lot of weight um, because of rheumatoid arthritis. Let me just pull up my other list. So it's interesting because if you go from different places, um, like I looked at um, the Mayo Clinic um, I looked at the CDC. Both of them have articles on rheumatoid arthritis and what it in- involves. Um, and their list of like what is affected is vastly different than um, the Arthritis Foundation, which is where I get a lot of my information and a lot of my support um, because it's a great resource. And I think it has a lot more contributions from the arthritis community. Um, so it's like the Mayo Clinic and the CDC, the American CDC, both mostly focus on the joint damage, but it can also affect your blood, your blood vessels, your heart, your lungs, and your skin. Um, so what can happen is it will cause inflammation in any one of those systems, which can damage the blood vessels, the heart muscle, um, your lungs, um, and cause, uh, cause different issues there. Um, I've also heard of people who have had inflammation in their brain or the fluid around their brain because of this, Um, and that can cause what's known as brain fog in the community. Um, So brain fog is basically, it's just like it sounds like you're, you, you feel like you're trying to think through fog. You can't put sentences together, I've forgotten words. Um... Or you'll forget the order in which things are supposed to be done. So, like, you might be making a cup of tea, but you'll make the entire cup of tea and then throw it out. Or you'll make the entire cup of tea but forget to put the tea bag in. Or you'll stick it in the refrigerator for some reason. And it's just your your body and brain are so occupied with either the pain that you're in or are so swollen and, like, the synapses don't fire right and you, you lose your ability to do things. Um, so usually what happens when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis is you will experience the joint pain, um, and stiffness, which is like what I had in my, my example. It was a pretty classic, um, presentation when it came to RA. Um, more than one joint is affected, so you won't just have it in like a knee. Like some people will have osteoarthritis in a knee or their foot. Um, But this will affect uh, multiple joints, and it'll affect joints on both sides of your body. So it's not restricted to, like, just your right side. Um, It'll be both, generally. Um, And you deal with a lot of fatigue. Um, When you have, like, a lot of these symptoms coming together where you're having the inflammation and the pain and the stiffness and the fatigue, um, that's called a flare. Um, And flares can last anywhere from couple hours if you're lucky to months or longer um and then when it comes to getting a diagnosis um generally what will happen is you're going to the doctor because you hurt and things are wrong um and then the doctor will ask you about what your symptoms are when they started how long they are um like how long you've been having them um what like experience you have like does it come and go is it pretty much all the time how severe is it um, you become really well acquainted with the idea of a pain scale, um, which is basically when your doctor will ask you on a scale of one to 10, like, how bad is it? Um, 
which is kind of like a hard thing to gauge, right? Because when, when you're going in for these things, uh, especially as like a femme presenting person, pain is a really hard thing to communicate to another person because it's not something that you can show. Like if you break your arm, you can get a test, right? To, to show that you have broken your arm. You can uh, get an x-ray. You can have a physical examination. There is no test for pain. And so your doctor has to kind of take you at your word uh, and and listen to you about the pain that you're experiencing. And so typically uh, in the medical community, and this isn't for every doctor, but it is for most doctors, um, if you are a femme-presenting person and you are telling your doctor that you are in pain, your pain is immediately discounted. And so... Um, like I've gone to a doctor and told him that my pain was at a seven and that I out of 10, um, which for me is akin to slamming your hand in a car door. Um, that's usually what I call my, my six or seven. And I'll tell them that. Um, and I'll tell them that it's at a seven and it's ongoing. So it's not like that, you know, I don't know if you've ever slammed your hand in a car door, but there's like that first impact where it really, really hurts, but then it kind of tapers off and isn't quite as bad. And I'll yeah. tell them it's like that initial impact, but four hours. And I can't do X, Y, Z or, you know, and this is the result of that. And I had told the doctor that, that I was experiencing that, that it was daily and that it wasn't going away. And he told me that at the end of my appointment that I was fine and I was in remission and I, you know, didn't need anything else. Um, and I think that has been probably the biggest challenge is like getting another human to, to understand the amount of pain that you, that you are in. Um, and especially with a disease where, I mean, you look at me, you, you most, I mean, Kayla, Kayla and Nathan have met me in real life. You look at me and, and you can't see anything wrong. So you assume just by looking at me that I can do things. And when I say I can't, that it's, you know, if, if you aren't, don't know my background, that I'm just saying I can't because I'm maybe because I'm lazy or uh, I just don't want to. But usually if I'm saying I can't do something, not even usually. If I say I can't do something, it's because I physically cannot. And it's really hard to like get that across to people, especially because I'm overweight, um, which is another thing that has happened to me as a result of my RA. Yeah. Um, there are blood tests that you do uh, for your initial screening with RA. Um, they look for inflammation rates and blood proteins in your blood that are linked to RA. So one of those main tests is called the urethrocyte sedimentation rate or your sed rate. Um, and what that does is it checks to see how many erythrocytes are in your blood. Um, erythrocytes are also called white blood cells. Um, and so that's just showing that you have an elevated immune response in your body. Um, and that's usually a, a marker for inflammation. Um, the other thing they look at are a C-reactive protein level, which is another, just like a protein in your body that they look for. Um, if you have high levels of those and some of these other things that could mean that you have rheumatoid arthritis, but it does not necessarily mean that you have it. 
Um, they also test you for a rheumatoid factor, which is the first thing that they looked for in me. Um, the rheumatoid factor is an antibody that is found in about 80% of people with RA. Um, but you don't, just because you have the RF factor doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have RA ever or that you currently have it. Um, and then another thing they'll look at are, are different antibodies. So, um, again, you can have those antibodies and not have RA. Um, and then after you have been diagnosed, typically what they'll do is they'll also do imaging tests. So they'll check, um, they'll do x-rays to check and see if you have erosions on your bones. Um, my doctor who initially diagnosed me also showed me like a, a way you could feel on your joints to see if you have some kind of erosion or any swelling, um, which is what he did for me initially. Although I did get one set of x-rays done within the first five years of me being diagnosed. Um, but I haven't had any since, and it's been 12 years. When it comes to treatment, <laughs> they go for treatment as soon as you get diagnosed, and they try and be as aggressive as possible to stop the inflammation as quickly as possible. And that's basically the goal of your treatment. There is no cure for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, there is no way to reverse damage that you have done. So what they do is they put you on medications right away um, to try and reduce your inflammation as, as quickly as they can and to relieve the symptoms that you have. And then from there on, it's just kind of a maintenance of keeping your inflammation in check while also not completely destroying your liver and kidneys. Um, because um, at least in my case with the medications I've been on, all of them negatively affect your liver and kidneys over time. Um, and can lead to the need for you to have to get those organs replaced <laughs> if you're not careful. Um, so for me, the first thing that they put me on uh, was uh, methotrexate. Methotrexate is a um, cancer-fighting drug. Um, it's also used in small doses as an abortant. So the first thing they asked me was if I was pregnant or not. Um, and then... When I first was on it, they, it was a shot that I administered to myself once a week. Um, I did experience an initial weight loss, which has since reversed itself, um, <laughs> and hair loss. Uh, also around um, my, I don't do injections anymore, thankfully. They put changed it to a pill for me. Um, but generally when I go to take that medication, I deal with a lot of um, nausea. So I will try and... I've actually like changed when I take my medication so that I don't have it around times when I have like a trip if I can avoid it. Like if I if I'm going to be traveling that day, I try and move like shift my my treatment date so that I'm not traveling at the same time as I'm experiencing all these side effects. Um so that medication I'm currently taking once a week. Um I also was put on Plaquenil which is also called hydroxychloroquine. It's actually a drug used to treat malaria. And um, that also makes me nauseous. But I take that daily. So I've kind of gotten to the point where I just kind of have learned to deal with the nausea. Um, and then because of those two drugs and the way that they affect your body, I've also been put on um, some other medications as a sort of... Um, 
mitigator to help with like the nausea and the hair loss and and other side effects. Um, so those are the first two. Those are also the two most common drugs that they put you on. Um, I've also been on a lot of drugs that suppress my immune system. So I'm actually a, on top of being someone who normally would be at a higher risk for getting sick because my immune system is in overdrive. And so my, it's kind of worn out. Um, I'm also have been on immune suppressants for so long and I'm currently on immune suppressants. Um, and what that does is it keeps my immune system from functioning so that it doesn't attack my body, but that also means that I can't fight infections. Um, and as a result of that, I deal with a lot of, um, like yeast infections and, and I get sick a lot. Uh, I used to work at a preschool and I was sick, like, Almost constantly, the kids and I, like, I loved my kids and I loved my job, but, like, it was probably not the most conducive place to be as someone with no immune system. Um, but they're really cute, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so those are the medications that I, I've mostly been on. There are a bunch of different kinds of, of biologics that they have that attack, well, not attack, but control different parts of your immune system. Um, and so I think I've been on almost every single biologic that's on the market in North America. Um, and only one of them has really worked for me, which is awesome. Uh, except since moving to a new country, I don't have access to that drug at the moment. Um, I have not had a rheumatologist, which is the specialist that takes care of my rheumatoid arthritis for me. I haven't had one um, since 2020 uh, when I got married. Um, and so because of that in Canada, I have to have a rheumatologist in order to get the medication that I need. Um, Otherwise, I have to pay for it out of pocket, which is not affordable. It's $50 per pill, per, and I need one pill per day. And um, I just, I, there's no way that that's really an option. Uh, so because of that, I am on the waiting list for rheumatologists, but currently without that medication. So that means that I am dealing with the fatigue um, and joint pain and swelling and all those other things. And um, the only kind of mitigator that I can turn to is steroids and steroids come with their own list of side effects and baggage personally for me i have bad reactions to them they make me really angry they make me gain an inordinate amount of weight i think the last time i went on it not only did i make like three coworkers cry in the office but <laughs> i also gained like 50 pounds in a two-month period uh, which isn't good for you. And I I haven't been able to get to lose that weight because because of my fatigue and limited ability to like go on walks and hikes and things, I I haven't been able to be mobile enough to uh to lose that weight, which is really frustrating. Um I'm not alone in this struggle. There are uh like 1.5 million people in the United States and something like 300,000 people in Canada with RA. Um, I think the statistic was like one in a hundred Canadians has it. Um, women are three times more likely to develop this disease or people who are assigned at birth as women are more likely to develop RA. 
Um, and in those people, um, generally you get diagnosed between the ages of 30 and 60, but that doesn't mean that it started in your 30s. That's usually when it gets noticed. Um, and I honestly think that part of that is because AFAB people are not listened to about their pain and that we're taught to kind of suppress and make it go away and deal with other things instead of taking care of ourselves. Um, I think the youngest case of rheumatoid arthritis that I read about is um, was diagnosed at the age of three. And the reason why it took that long for them that person to get diagnosed was because they didn't have language. Um, but like they they had all the symptoms. Um it's so funny because like one of the things on the website too that was listed here was self-care. Self-care has never been discussed with me by any healthcare professional in regards to anything, honestly, but especially my array. Um but here, like, when you reach outside of the medical community and you look for, like, community and your fellow disabled peoples, then they start to get into, like, what do you do to take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the big things that gets pushed a lot is healthy eating and trying to eat a balanced, nutritious diet that doesn't have trigger foods in it because some foods can trigger flares in people with RA. Um, I know that for me, if I have too much um, fried food or if I have anything like an overabundance of MSG, I will can actually see it's always in my pinky knuckle. It's the first pinky knuckle and it will swell to the size of a marble. And it's like a little marble sitting underneath my skin on top of my joint. And that's my RA. <laughs> It's, um, I have a picture somewhere. It's actually kind of cool to see, but I got really sad the first time it happens and this sounds so silly, but like, I was so sad because it happens when I eat Arby's curly fries and Arby's curly fries are delicious, but I can't eat them because they hurt me. Um, (laughs) I know. Um, I also have a pretty strong reaction with tomatoes, the nightshade family in general, which is like tomatoes, peppers, and potatoes. Um, can cause flares or trigger food. Um, for me, I'm usually okay as long as I don't overdo it on the tomatoes. So, like, if I have pasta sauce, I can have pasta, like, once once a day. But I couldn't do, like, pasta and then tomatoes on, on a, in a salad or pasta and then, you know, tomatoes somewhere else. I have to, like, kind of st- stick to, to one per day. <laughs> Otherwise, I have problems. Um, other things include like, they're like, oh, balance, balance your activity with rest. Make sure that you're resting. Um, the only problem I have with like getting enough rest is also dealing with the immense guilt for letting myself rest. Um, because I, I grew up as a, like a fiercely independent person. I don't like to ask for help. It's something I've had to teach myself to do over the past 12 years. Um, and so like when I look, when I, when I, you know, need to sleep all day because my body won't let me do anything else, but I wake up and I see like the dishes haven't 
you know, I haven't been able to do the dishes and like the cats didn't get played with or like my fish tank needs to be deep cleaned and I, I haven't done that. I, I get like a lot of guilt or like being sick. I was sick this last week at work and I missed a week of work because I was sick, but I was so guilty about being sick and I didn't need to be. And so like, I think that's one big thing that, you know, it's really easy to say like, rest, give yourself permission to do this. It's really easy to say, but it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say things like take good supplements, which then when you get into the supplement thing, cause you, I, I think the only time I've ever had anyone tell me I need to take a supplement has been a non-medical person and they've been trying to sell me something. Um, and it always pisses me off supplements and yoga. Like <laughs> if you, if you ask me if I've put if I put oil on it and oil on it, or if I've tried yoga or if I tried cutting out sugar, I will probably rip your head off. Um, and not because like, I think that you're being, unless you're trying to sell me something like fuck you, if you're trying to sell me something, but if it's coming from like a good place of you trying to like be helpful, like, have you tried doing this? Have you tried doing that before you ask someone with a disability? Have you tried X, Y, Z? Know that they've tried it. Um, especially if they've had that problem or this diagnosis for a long time, we've tried it. And it's not a matter, uh, if we haven't tried it, it's not a matter of like, I don't want to. Like, I would do many terrible things to not deal with this daily uh, that I won't list here, allegedly. But, <laughs> I literally you know. just mimed a knife. I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, I, I would do many terrible things. Uh, I would give up a whole lot if I didn't have to deal with this. Um, so I find it really frustrating and insulting to have someone come up and ask me if I tried this one real simple trick. Um, and then to have them get offended at me when I tell them no or yes and it didn't work. Um because the next thing out of their mouth is always, well, maybe you didn't try hard enough. And I mm. guarantee you, I guarantee you, we've tried hard enough. Um, and I think that's been one of the most difficult things for me to deal with is like abled people being shitty abled people. Not that everybody who's abled is shitty, but like most of the shitty people I've dealt with are abled. <laughs> and and they, they have like this need to like instant fix stuff. And it's really hard to, to like deal with all of the background stuff and have all of that on you. And then to have someone come up and like try and try and instantly fix it and then be shitty with you after and not just immediately be shitty back. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So then, um, the other big thing. There's two two big things that I've I've had to deal with when it came to RA and my life, um, and I'm I know I'm making this all about me, but I'm sure that this is not just me. I'm sure it's other people who have been in this. This is just my experience. Um, the first one is relationships. Uh, when I got diagnosed, I was actually in- engaged, not to my now husband, but to someone else, um, and their reaction to me getting me getting diagnosed was um, a non-reaction, which was really frustrating. 
um, because I was going through like all all the stages of grief, and I I was in a position to where like I I kind of knew what I was going to be getting into because my mom also has RA. She was diagnosed when I was like thirteen or fourteen, um, and I had done like school projects on it and everything. Um, but like to have my partner, my then partner, like react with the with the it'll be fine don't worry about it was really frustrating and actually my RA is kind of what got me out of that relationship because at the time he was in the military and wanted to be stationed in Germany which he was going to get that assignment like in the next like six months after his first station where we were going to be together presumably at the time so I was like, but you promised me like I could go back to school and you promised me and like I need to get my this new diagnosis under control. Like I've had it for like a month. And he was like, well, they have doctors in Germany. You'll be fine. <laughs> and that was his reaction to me. Like, no, like my whole life just changed. <laughs> I need you to listen to me about this. Also, like trying to get medical care in another country. And like trying to get medical care in another country, trying to trying to learn to navigate and a whole nother medical system because it's done through the the military. And and you're uprooting me from like I was already planning on moving to Virginia and then and leaving my family behind. But I had some family in the area to now you want to move me to germany where i have no support system no friends no family whatsoever except you and your response has been eh. um not great uh and yeah. so that's that's really what got me out of that um which was really good for me <laughs> um and then it also got me out of another bad relationship because i you know this was I don't know, five, five or six years later, I've had my diagnosis for a while. I'm, I'm mostly under control, but like having this disease is a huge financial burden. If you do not have, and even when you do have insurance, you have hundreds of like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of medication that you have to get, that if you have to pay for it out of pocket, isn't like, I have never in my life been able to afford the the retail value of my medications. I can't. Like, I, I, I physically do not make enough money per year to pay for my medications without the help of health insurance, whether that's state health insurance. When I lived in the States, it was Medicare. Um, or here, it's it's the government pays pays for a lot of it. Um, and my my boyfriend at the time wanted to us to move to Mississippi and go to school. And I didn't get the scholarship I needed, and I didn't get the support from the school in in terms of healthcare um, that I needed, and so I, I wasn't going to be able to go. And I told him that, and he lost his shit, um, and then did a bunch of really other really terrible things, but had like no respect for me in in terms of what I needed as a disabled person, because I am disabled, um, what I needed as a disabled person to make my life work from day to day. And no respect for me in terms of like my my life is dynamic. I don't have like 
Like I go to bed and I wake up and I never know what Courtney's going to be there. Is it going to be productive can get shit done, Courtney? Is it going to be I need to sleep for 12 hours today, Courtney? Is it I'm going to be fine until about noon and then I'm going to be um, sitting on the couch doing absolutely nothing? Am I not going to remember how to open a door? Like you never know. Um, and he couldn't deal with the fact that I was not in that in that kind of way a reliable person because I sometimes I just can't, and I can make plans in the morning that I have to cancel in the evening, and he couldn't handle that. And so, thankfully, that kind of shittiness was highlighted because I was sick, and it it let me get out of it real fast. So I was really grateful for that. Um, and it also helped me like vet my husband, <laughs> right? Because our first date, we had physically met each other for, I don't know, maybe three days, right? We're in town on a walk by the waterfront. It's beautiful. I'm put chugging a log and he turns and looks at me and he goes, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, fine. Y'all, I, I can keep going. We're good. And he looks at me and he walks a little bit longer and he looks at me again. And he's like, well, I'm tired. Let's let's sit. And so he pulls me over to a bench and we sit down and we're looking at the water. And when we were sitting there, it gave me a chance to kind of reassess how I was doing. And I realized I was really tired. <laughs> and <laughs> I was so like caught up in in, you know, worrying about like what's he thinking and like thinking about later like what are we gonna have for dinner and like all these other things that i wasn't listening to my body but he had figured out in that short short amount of time that i needed a break no sorry <laughs> and i have had friends who I've known for years who couldn't do that. And here's this person who I had just met who was able to do that for me. And he does that for me all the time, but I really appreciate him for it. And I know he's in the other room listening and like laughing at me a little <laughs> bit. He's sitting with the cat. But yeah, like, you know, as, as shitty as my day-to-day -day can be, it's let me have like... Wonderful things like Jake in my life and like good friends in my life. My my best friend Matisse, my best friend Sandra, you guys are all like so good about accommodating and helping me and like letting me do what I need to do to get things done. And it's wonderful. And I appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah. You're very, very welcome. Well, I love you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um so the only other couple of things I have, um, oh, uh, the last thing is that um, when you when you have an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis, um, they tend to come in threes. So um, for me, I have two at the moment with markers for a third. So I have rheumatoid arthritis, I have fibromyalgia, and I have some of the markers. I don't know exactly what they are because the doctors never tell you. Um, but I have markers for Sjogren's syndrome as well. Sjogren's syndrome um, can cause dry eyes and dry mouth is pretty much all I know. I try not to research into it too much because um, when it comes to these things, there's nothing you can really do to 
prepare to have it. You can just kind of keep an eye out for the warning factors. So um, I try not to like obsess over it too much. Um, but they tend to come in threes. So you can have like lupus is another an autoimmune disease that's very common. Um, that it never is lupus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it is. So, yeah. Do you guys have any like questions or? Um, did they, did your, any of your doctors happen to tell you, Courtney, that I think the, the false negative on the lupus test is between 20 and 25%? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I just want to say, as like someone who has been told things like, you're in remission while I'm in crippling pain and unable to live like a decent life from day to day. And like, I, I don't expect to be, I don't want to say normal, but like, I don't expect to have a life like I did before I had rheumatoid arthritis. But I, I would like to be able to, um, I don't know, not, not be in crippling pain most of the time. Um, and I think, so like, I don't, I don't necessarily always believe in the tests either because what we call normal in medical tests was all based on one white guy in his 30s, like 200 years ago. <laughs> Look it up. It's true. <laughs> um, they did not adjust for nationality or sex or anything. They just kind of based it on the one dude. So I find them kind of arbitrary and bullshit. Fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> just, just my two cents. As a non-medical <laughs> professional. Um, like my mom. My mom has some thyroid issues. And I've talked about them other places. So I know she won't be too mad. Um, but her her thyroid test will come back as normal. Within range. But um, also with things like thyroid issues. Like they take the one test and they say you're fine. But like those those levels can fluctuate all throughout the day, right? And mm -hmm. they can fluctuate based on like what you're eating or how you're feeling or whatever. Yep. Um, and so like even luckily, my mom's doctor said that she had a lot of the same symptoms as I think it's I think it's hypothyroidism, and so treated the symptoms and not the test score. Mm -hmm. And my mom has been so much better since I started doing that for her. So, but finding a doctor who will do something like that is really rare. Um, like, I can understand not wanting to have, like, a a liability, I guess, of mis of just treating somebody for something. But at the same time, like, not, not treating somebody is also terrible. So, yeah, like, medicine is not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's still no. the kind of it is. No. Yeah. Um. The other big gripe I have is with um, insurance companies um, because I've had insurance companies dictate my care um, pretty much since I got diagnosed. Like um, I wanted to try a specific, a specific medication for a specific reason after doing a bunch of research with my mom and I took it to my doctor and he couldn't do it until I had gone through every other one of the medications in that category. Yep. Wow. So I had to wait like an additional year after trying all those other medications that I knew weren't going to do much because they didn't target the specific 
um, I think it's a specific cytokine. Um, and lo and behold, when I actually got my hands on the one medication I'd asked for, it worked. Um, is that placebo? Maybe, but probably not. Um, it's just like part of it too is that there's not really enough testing that they can do to kind of narrow it down to know that like, oh, like you need to take X, Y, and Z drugs because you have A, B, and C problems. It's, it's kind of like a, you're kind of a guinea pig, um, constantly, which is really frustrating too. Mm. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this at all, but like as an immunocompromised person, how has your experience with COVID been like? Um, I, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really privileged, um, because when COVID hit, I was working in the daycare. I was living in Seattle away from family. Well, I have some family in Seattle, but, um, like, I wasn't living with them beforehand. Um, but when COVID, when COVID really started to pop up more often, um, because my husband and I were very much on top of what was coming up where, when it started to pop up more and, um, like at Amazon and, um, in the hospitals, um, we got nervous because I'm a high risk person. And I actually ended up quitting my job and moving back in with my grandmother out of the city. Um, And I did that the week before they shut Seattle down. Um, So I also had the ability to not have to work because my grandmother graciously let me just live with her for a while (laughs) in order to stay safe. Um, And I didn't leave the house except for once once to go get anxiety medication because I was my anxiety uh went out of control with covid because I was convinced that everything was going to kill me constantly um and once to see Jake and once to get married but between March and August of 2020 i didn't leave the house (laughs) um and then uh, since then like my anxiety is under control i've obviously left the house some i've been able to see people but like i think it's disgusting how people can be like oh it's fine if just the old people die and the sick people die because i'm a sick person um but you wouldn't think of me as being sick just by looking at me. But COVID, COVID, I mean, COVID could kill anyone, but COVID could especially kill me. It could especially kill some of my other friends who are disabled people. Um, and I think that if you are one of those people saying it, and I, I doubt some of our listeners are, um, but if you're one of those people saying that, um, I'm 33. <laughs> Is that fair to say about me that I can just die? Like, I'm 33 and I, I love to teach and I love to, like, get people excited about the environment and fish and do all these wonderful things. And is that fair? Like, everyone has purpose and everyone has value. It's, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how disabled you are. You have value. And it's disgusting to say that because 
we aren't what you would consider healthy and you want to go back to restaurants and have the world open up again before it's safe, that it's okay for me to die. It's a really fucking shitty thing to say. Definitely. And I think for a lot of people, like, if you don't know somebody who is immunocompromised or something like that, you don't really understand the impact of well, this. Well, the thing is, you never know who is and isn't. You might for know sure. someone who is, and they just haven't told you or they haven't found out yet. I I have been, I have had RA my entire life, but it didn't start to manifest until after I got hit by the drunk driver. You can test for it at any time. Um, I, I chose not to, even though I know my mom had it because the first thing I asked after I was asked if I wanted to get tested was, will it do anything? Can I do anything to prevent getting sick? Can I do anything to, to prepare myself in case it comes up? And they told me no. And so I said, then I don't want to know because I didn't want to have that constantly hanging over me. You know, granted I had like three years of that (laughs) before it came through but you know like but you you never know you never know what's going to happen and and i also want to point out you never know when it comes to like covid people with existing conditions include people who are obese people with um like and the other thing is too is like you you have let's say like you're you just have like you know, a small, a small medical, say you have diabetes, diabetes, people with diabetes are part of the disability community. We, they, they deal with some heavy medical shit. They're like, if you're a child with diabetes, you have like, you're constantly having to prick and have your, your monitors and you could die from like shock at any time. It's very stressful for your parents. It's very stressful for you. And, and we think of people with diabetes as being like diabetes is isn't cured, but we think of it as a very manageable disease nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people are dying of it. COVID will kill them. Yeah, that's a that's the thing, right? Like COVID can kill you. You have asthma. COVID can kill you. Small things that we've considered normal, and then even if it doesn't, let's say that they're because they're doing this and it's disgusting, but. If it's between someone who has asthma and someone who doesn't, who gets the ventilator? Right? Mm-hmm. It's not a fun thing to have to do. But the thing is, is a lot of the time, the people with the disabilities are not getting the ventilators. And there's nothing really, there's no reason why we shouldn't. But things are so overwhelmed, that's what they're starting to do. Yeah. So yeah, people fucking wear your masks and get vaccinated. Wear your fucking mask. If you're able to, please get your shots. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that some people can't. I understand that some of them have had some really atrocious reactions to the vaccine. And I can understand those exceptions. But otherwise, like if you're just not getting it because you don't want to or like it's an inconvenience to go down, like go get it. (laughs) Quit being a piece of shit and go get it. Don't be that person who doesn't get your vaccine and then needs to get put on the organ transplant list and still say you won't get your vaccine because fuck you. They actually denied someone. Um, I, I'm i still not sure how I feel about this, but um, they have denied someone an organ transplant because they were unvaccinated. 
and refused to vaccinate. A personal choice, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think some of I've read at least one where it was a personal choice. Um but yeah. And that's the other thing is like maybe you know somebody with um an organ tran like who's gotten an organ transplant. I know someone who's had a heart transplant. Yeah. They're also the rest of their life. The rest of their life. And they have to get a new organ depending on how old they are. Yep. They'll have to get another organ at one point. You know, you and know. think of people who've recovered from cancer, they're vulnerable for the rest of their lives as well. Yep. Just because they're just their disease or whatever is not up in your face anymore doesn't mean that it's not affecting them. Well, and, and the medications you're on damage your body for life. They really do. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's another like a whole nother side of disability is like we're on medications to help us you know do better and some of us get to thrive on them and and survive but you know we we have a price that we pay for that um you know um i don't know if you want to talk about this or not but do you know if there's any like long-term concerns with your medication for take that you take uh yeah so um i have to get blood work done every three months um to check on my liver and kidneys to make sure that they're functioning um i have rules about what i can what and when i can drink certain beverages like i guess i relearned this year um i'm not supposed to drink cola on days when i take my methotrexate or the day before or the day after um i'm also not supposed to drink the day before the day of the day after um like any kind of alcohol mm-hmm. so 3 days a week so i've <laughs> I got diagnosed when I was real young. <laughs> I definitely have changed my schedule so that I didn't have to take my medication on the weekend sometimes if I had an event coming up <laughs> because <laughs> I, w- I wanted to have fun and be young for a moment and forget that I was sick. Um, oh, that's something I did not talk about either was like my reaction to being sick. I definitely had a hard denial period uh, where I drank a lot. Don't do that, children. It's not good for you, even if you're not <laughs> disabled. <laughs> uh, oh, one positive side effect of rheumatoid arthritis, and I guess other autoimmune diseases, um, I don't get hangovers. <laughs> because why? of the autumn. Yeah. yeah. Why? I don't know the science behind it. Uh, I don't know if it's backed up by science. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess that's like a thing. Like, no hangover time. So cheers to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I didn't talk about was rheumatoid arthritis and pregnancy. Um, mm. So, like, uh, I I am interested in being a parent. Um, and so I have to go off of all of my medications before I can even start having, like, trying to have a child. Um, and I have to be off of them for a minimum of three months before I can start trying. Um, because I think I mentioned earlier, one of my medications is an abortant, um, yeah. which is not conducive to making a small human. So in order to like do that, I have to be uh, quote unquote in remission uh, or in a good place before I can go off those medications. Um, and I don't think I can be on any of them while pregnant. So uh, I used the good to, 
Sorry? Oh, go ahead. Uh, so I know you said that you, your your mom got diagnosed when you were 13, but I know your brother's a lot younger. Yeah, what? so um, she got diagnosed after he was born. Okay. Yeah, Um. but we're also not sure if my mom had had symptoms like my it's po- very possible that my mom had symptoms um much younger mm-hmm. um but either wasn't listened to about them i like i don't know i don't this is speculation i don't know if she had 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 them or and, and like just wasn't being listened to or like what but like that's definitely a possibility um or that she went in because i know she said she had they told her she had bursitis in her shoulder um when she was uh a young woman but i don't know if that was like actually bursitis or could have been rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. we don't know um uh ra also is more common in women and i say women i mean people assigned at birth as women um before they have a pregnancy um then after uh, one of the other weird things is that while you're pregnant, your symptoms like can go away. So it's like pre RA life all over again. Uh, um, so the question is like, what happens during pregnancy? So yeah, that's interesting. So like during, yeah, so like they'll go away, and then they can come back after. And sometimes it's worse. It's a gamble. Yeah. They're not really sure, um, but like. One of the hardest things that happened when I first got diagnosed, and like I ha- I was 22, I wasn't married yet. Not that that matters, um, but like I hadn't really thought about having kids. Um, but one of the first things that was said to me when I was sharing my diagnosis was, "Are you going to? Well, how could you if you know that you could pass this on to your child? I don't think you should." Which is a super shitty thing to say, and you should never say wow. to anyone for any reason. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, there is a hereditary aspect to rheumatoid arthritis. It's not necessarily genetic, but your chances of having it are higher if you have it running in your family. Like, obviously, my mother has it. I have it. Um, it wasn't a guarantee. My siblings so far are RA-free, uh, knock on wood. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, that's a chance, right? Um, but, like, you there's know, a chance like, of so many things. The- there, yeah. Do they know like the rates of which? Like, I know with like ADHD, if I were to have a child, there's a fifty cent chance that they would have it. No, no, not that I saw anywhere. I was looking. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing a lot, a lot of research. Um, <laughs> recently, especially, um, because uh, like my anxiety is is separate from my rheumatoid arthritis, but it is definitely triggered by my rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one night I stayed up all night reading what happens if you get pregnant and how can you get pregnant with RA? Mm-hmm. Um, so far the only the only things that they have seemed to like consistently point out with in regards to like pregnancy and RA is that your children typically are underweight. Mm. So you just have small babies and it's typically a high risk pregnancy, um, which I'm already at a high risk for. So it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy baby. That's not the worst thing. It's like, oh, well, they're okay. That's them being a little well, more risk is a little unfortunate. Yeah, but. yeah, high a high risk pregnancy, and then like a small baby. Like they didn't necessarily say how small, but I'm assuming like I'm, like six pounds and under. Yeah. So 
uh, I was a small child, a small the, baby. The underweight. That's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I don't even think they know. I don't know. Did they just um, be, like it was noticed over the course of a series of pregnancies of women or those? Yeah, it it might have just been it might have just been like a survey kind of thing. I didn't find a white paper on it. It was gotcha. something I read in my anxiety. <laughs> anxiety reading so you know yeah you know like i'm sure other people do this too you you you're worried about something you like fucking google it to death that's how i deal with stuff Uh, i google it until i can understand it um so i just you know um do. do they know why like the symptoms may recede while you're pregnant no I'm sure if so they could figure that out, that they would uh, use that as some kind of treatment option. I do know that, and if this is too TMI, like, skip forward a minute, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you guys get no choice. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I do know that when I'm on my period, my symptoms are worse. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know if that's just because, like, my body is already, like, in angry cramp mode and so it just kicks it into high gear um, or what. But, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, You know, and and so much of what I've learned has been from, like, I I got no information from my diagnosing doctor. Um, My second rheumatologist I had was... Uh, I don't want to say completely worthless, but he was completely, completely worthless. Um, I used, I needed him to write me prescriptions, and that's why I went in. Um, Ooh, too, and I too, could too, I, too close to home there. Ouch! I could, <laughs> I could kind of like, I don't want to say manipulate, but I was definitely just bullying him into giving me treatments that I wanted, and it sometimes it would take six months to a year, but I would get them. Um, yeah, and now I don't have a rheumatologist, so well, so, so for a good one. Yeah, you're on a wait list right now, right? I'm on a wait list. Um, my um, trying to get a rheumatologist here has been kind of a nightmare, and it's not necessarily the system's fault. It was initially my my first uh, GP's fault, um, but now I'm just waiting on the system, so. And there's no like, there's no real uh, like time frame. Yeah, I think right now I'm on month three, three or four of waiting with my new doctor. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I waited. I've waited for this. Isn't just Canada. Like people like to say, like, oh, social medicine. You have to wait forever to get to see anybody. I waited for over six months to see a doctor when I lived in Washington. And I had to drive um, 200 miles one way to go see him. And he wouldn't let me do there. There was no option for televisits at the time. So I had to drive and do that every three months. Um, so it would be a two, two and a half hour drive there. Um, he generally kept me waiting at least an hour. I talked to him for five minutes. He would tell me I'm fine. I would argue with him that I wasn't. He would suggest that it was because I was overweight that I was having the troubles I was having. And then I would pay for parking and leave. 
So, uh, God forbid, like you had a flare up on that day or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely something because I I lived with my grandmother and like my grandmother probably could have driven me, but like if she happened to have something scheduled at, at that time or like she was out of town and I had an appointment, like I didn't have a backup to drive me. Um, mm-hmm. so like uh, that is one thing that I really appreciate about COVID is that it has allowed me to. Um, do televisits so like I did get to meet with him over f- over phone chat mm-hmm. um, and I will say that my level of care increased when he couldn't see what I looked like yeah. um, because magically uh, my fatigue and uh, trouble sleeping was no longer caused by my weight when he couldn't tell how much I weighed and I, he doesn't look at my chart so he had no idea how much I weighed last time I went in um, yeah I, I, I'm loving the whole. There's no time. words. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just loving the whole te- the telephone stuff now being available for doctors. Is it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, also, it meant that I didn't have to take a whole day to go to the doctor, um, yes. which is huge, right? Um, and and I did try like after I got him, I did try to get like a uh, a closer rheumatologist. There were none in network. Um. And I tried to, like, call and, like, chat with one to see who they would take uh, through Medicare because I was not working at the time. And um, none of the ones close to me, and when I say close to me, I mean within an hour of me, um, were taking patients. Which is also kind of, like, what I'm running into here. Like, I'm waiting on a wait list to see somebody on in Victoria, um, which is, like an hour and a half away i think mm-hmm. yeah um because no one no one in my town is taking patients and if victoria is full up then i have to we'll have to go off island uh, and i'll have to go to Vic- to vancouver to go yeah. get care uh thankfully here in canada life labs exists so we don't have that in the states um oh, really i would yeah, so like um when I would go to my rheumatologist to do blood work, I would have to do it within the hospital that they were attached to. Mm. Um and they were always in a hospital for some reason, which I just now realized. But uh yeah, so I would just go down to the lab department on a different floor of the hospital. Um but I would have to do it like I couldn't like there wasn't there's not like life labs here they have like all these little laboratory testing centers and you just make an appointment and you can go in you can get whatever you need done done and they send it to your doctor so that's lovely they are um so good it's 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 amazing (laughs) i also want to say that like um one of the major differences between the healthcare systems that i've noticed is that Doctors here are very concerned about making you pay for anything out of pocket, and I've never had to pay anything more than thirty dollars for something out of pocket. Um, like I had a, I, I can't healthcare. <laughs> I had a so so when I lived in Anchorage, I had healthcare through my work, and then I had so you so work helped pay for the, uh, not deductible, premium, mm-hmm. uh, and so that gave me access to the healthcare, but then I had to pay for like the deductible from, for like doctor visits and co-pays and for doctor visits and, and medical medications. 
Sorry, my brain's starting to go. It's okay. Um, and so, like, I would go to the doctor once every three months, and it would be typically $250 out of pocket. Jesus. Unless I had to have blood work done, and then it was closer to $300 or over that's so, $300. That's just so wild to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever paid for a doctor's visit my entire life. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, and then uh, as, as far as medications go, I paid... I don't remember what I paid when I lived in Alaska. When I was working at the, um, when I was working at the daycare in Seattle, we had healthcare. They paid my premium. I had to pay copays, and for one month of medication, and I don't even think they I had filled all of my prescriptions because I had some left from the last time. Um, I think for just three of them, it was over two hundred dollars. For one month of medication. And um, it did not include my biologic. And biologics are outrageously expensive. So when I was doing injectables, one shot was 1500 to three. No, it was $3,000. It was $3,000 per injection for retail cost. And like how often are you supposed to get injections? Once a week. You're fucking kidding me? <laughs> Holy no. shit. So, no, that was, I'm sorry, that one was once every two weeks. So Still. bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that particular medication, uh, you could sign up for a program with the uh, pharmaceutical companies that would help pay that down so that it was affordable and i think when i was taking that it was actually covered 100 percent by my i want to say it was covered 100 percent by my health care plan but also that was a, a long time ago and i don't remember um mm. yeah but like the drug that i the drug that i miss right now um is like for in Canada, and it's cheaper in Canada, would be uh, over eighteen thousand dollars for a year's worth mm. out of pocket. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like once I have uh, the province step in and help with it. Um, they haven't really given me a quote, and then I, we also have healthcare through my husband's work, so we get help with medication and stuff. Um, we did have to pay for a three-month supply of my medication because we had, like, a gap between providers at one point. And I think here, I think we spent, was it $200? I want to say it was $200. Jake, Jake didn't answer. <laughs> I think he has headphones in. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was, like, 200 like 200 bucks out of pocket for a three-month supply, which sounds terrible at first when I said it. And then I was like, oh, but it's for three months. It's not the end of the world yeah, that's that's not that terrible for sure yeah yeah like but I, normally I yeah normally i think we pay like 70 dollars at a time yeah so to go from like for it to like almost triple was a lot and yeah. made me feel really guilty there's a lot of guilt associated with the disease too which i which never gets talked about in the office, like when you're talking with a doctor, I have tried to ask doctors for like mental health services associated with RA and they mm -hmm. never, ever, ever have anything for me. 
Like there is no, like these are specialists, right? Like this is a specialist's office. This is not a GP. This is not someone who sees like 150 different diseases in a day. Like they see like five. Um, They have never been able to, nor have they tried to offer me or be able to give me any kind of resources regarding mental health um, Mm. ever. Even when I requested it, like didn't even take the time to look. So I think that's the like the most one of the most frustrating and lonely parts of being disabled for me. Um, I've had to like try and find my own community. I have yet to find someone close to my age, and I mean like someone between like twenty and thirty, or tw- I'm sorry, I'm thirty, twenty and forty, <laughs> yeah, who has who has a similar experience. Like I've met friends who have fibromyalgia. I know people with other autoimmune diseases or other disabilities that I'm friends with um, or like that I found online that I chat with about what it's like to be disabled and so I don't feel quite as alone. Um, But I've never found another person with rheumatoid arthritis my age. Is there like Um, a subreddit for it or anything or? I I had looked a couple years ago and tried to find something because I have a friend with cystic fibrosis. Um, and she she has found community in the cystic fibrosis community and like made friends and she has like game nights with them and stuff. Uh, and I was hoping for something similar and I've I've yet to find one. Mm. <laughs> um, I do have like a couple of people I follow on Twitter who are invaluable when it comes to like disability education and not feeling alone in, in that kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. No one with a similar story, no one in, who's, like, trying to go through, like, pregnancy and, like, being a, a mom with rheumatoid arthritis. Like, my mom had it after she had kids, as far as we know. Like, I'm going to run with that. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, like, one of my biggest fears is, like, man, there are days I can't, like, open a door or make a sandwich. What am I going to do if I have a child? Um, Like... It's a hard I thing mean, to think Jake's about. Right? Mom is gonna, Jake's mom will live with you. You know that. Yeah, but mother in law is like, <laughs> there's a reason. Yeah, my mother in law will be like, and like Jake, Jake is gonna be a wonderful dad. And like, I'm not, I'm never gonna be like alone, alone. But like, you know, yeah. there, there's that, like, you know, I grew up being fiercely independent and I'm gonna have to learn to ask for help with something new. And it's kind of frustrating, but I'll, I'll like, totally worth it in this case. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like it would be nice to have be able to find like maybe I'll have to make it. I I'm terrible at making communities, but I could try. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um is there anything else that we can do to help you? And are is there anything recommendations that you give to people who are friends with people with RA? Oh, Anyone with any friend who's has a disability, um, I think the the f- first thing you can do is like ask them if they need something. They might tell you no the first couple of times, but like, like obviously don't ask us like six times in the same day. But like, if if it looks like someone is struggling with something, like or or you know that they have trouble with like. Like when Jake knows that like I get tired and I have pain in my joints, asking if I need a break. And if they say no, ask if you can have a break. You know, do do things that you know will benefit them without in a way that isn't condescending 
or makes them feel singled out. You know, like take a group break. Un- let, mm-hmm. let them know that you understand when they ha- have to cancel plans. Give them that out, you know. Let them know that that's like a safe thing to be able to do with them. Um, do your, like it's, no one's perfect. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but like do your best not to make them feel bad when they have to cancel something or can't do something. I've had friends do that to me. Um, I had friends from high school who knew me before I was sick who had a really hard time wrapping their brains around the fact that I was sick now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so would be like, well, why can't you do it? Yeah. And it'd be like, let me remind you of this really traumatic thing that happened. <laughs> um, thankfully, like my best friend who is CF, I've known her since I was 14 and she's wonderful. Um, and I like she she did a really good job of like advocating for me in that and at that point. So she was like, because we're disabled. Know that that's not <laughs> a bad word, by the way. It's it's totally acceptable to call. I'm a disabled person. That's fine. Or I'm a person who's disabled. It either way works for me. Some people are a little more are sticky on the language. Um, um, does the word differently able bother you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I think that's true for most people with a disability. Like, I'm not differently abled. I'm not. I don't want to be inspiration porn. Is the other thing. Like, I'm not. I'm not. Always sounds so condescending to me. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you're just so brave. I'm like, bitch. What would you do in my situation? <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to do? Curl up and die? Oh, that's something that people have also said has been like, I could never, I could never live with what you're going through. I would just die. I'd be like, cool, thanks. Yeah, this is great. Great, great story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, I, I'm just a person. Treat me with respect like you would anyone else. Um, but like, also know that like, yes, I have extra needs. And those also need to be honored and respected. Um, I have firmer boundaries because of this. Uh, no means no. I don't know. That's a different story. That's a different topic. That's consent, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't grab. Oh, here's one. If if um if you see someone who's using a wheelchair, um, one never grab their wheelchair because that's rude as fuck. Uh, and really um, scary for someone just to, like, start wheeling you in a direction. Um, mm-hmm. And two, if you see that person who was using a wheelchair one day, not using it another, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> you don't know what they need day to day. So shut your mouth. If they're walking normally one day and then they need a cane, cool. It's just part of who they are. Don't be shitty about it. None of your fucking business anyways. Mind your own fucking business. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I did so much talking again. But I stayed on topic. No. But still, I was like, I feel like I should pause for questions or something, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) We would have interrupted you if we had questions. Yeah. That's true. We've got no issues. (laughs) Yeah. Um, also, I'm totally fine with people messaging me on um, Twitter or Instagram with your respectful questions. If you're going to be a troll or an asshole, like, just do yourself a favor and fuck off early because you're not going to be happy if I have to tell you to fuck off. <laughs> um, 
but also like if you're a person with disability or um like whether that's like a, a physical disability or a mental disability or a neurodivergence like feel free to like hit me up if you need help with anything or like want to know what some of my community people are that I look up to on uh, when it comes to dis- disability. Um, yeah. If you're following me on Twitter, you know I bitch about fucking awful abled people all the time. Not that all abled people are awful, but a lot of awful people are abled. Are those um, uh, folks that you follow on social media who, are, who have good discussions about um, disability, can we can we put those on the show notes? I would love to follow some people. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Like some of the one of the ones off the bat, um at Tainu, I think is how you say her name, T-I-N-U on Twitter. Uh she is absolutely fucking fantastic. She does so much for the disability community, even when she herself is is fighting through brain frog and struggling. Um she does a lot of um, community aid posting and stuff. She also hosts, um, I think it's called Spoonie Chat, hashtag Spoonie Chat on Twitter. Uh, it's on Wednesdays and it's, they have different topics and, and you're, everyone is welcome who's disabled is welcome to like join in on the conversation and talk about their own experiences and read others and kind of like com- creates a great community. Um I also want to say Chronic Spoonie is one. Is that right? That one sounds familiar. Is it Chronic Spoonie? Chronic Spoonfuls on Instagram. They're pretty wonderful. But yeah, um, if you're if you're looking for people, um, I will try and go through all of my inst- all of my Instagram, all of my Twitter, and and pull some out. But Tainu, Tainu was absolutely wonderful. She does so much work. She needs all the recognition. Um, she does a lot of work with um, hashtags on Twitter, which sounds kind of silly and meaningless until you realize like how important it is for connecting with people to have those hashtags. And she's put together like a whole compendium of it. Um, so if you look at that, and that's something that um, you're interested in using um like maybe tip her she's does so much work and she doesn't really ask for anything in return and it's really hard to be it's really hard to be disabled and working um like i think that's one of the biggest biggest hardest things that we try and do is working <laughs> when you're disabled partly because like your illness is dynamic you never know what you're going to get um and nine to fives are not conducive to um not always conducive to being disabled um if you if you don't have like a special workplace that and when i say special i mean like accommodating accommodating like like it's a special place and it's on it's not often heard of for them to be accommodating and understanding and even when they are sometimes they're they still have to let you go which sucks um but yeah. Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Don Don Gibson. Don M. Gibson um founded Spoonie Chat and she runs it a lot of the time. But I think she's been doing it in conjunction with Tainu. Very um cool. they're both both wonderful people. Awesome. Yeah. For sure. And I bitch. So you can follow me too if you want. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for talking about this. Yeah, Um, of course. It's not an easy topic to talk about and can be very personal. So, Yeah, I did really good at only crying the one time. I'm pretty proud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. You are very welcome. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. And that's it for this week. Next week, we talk to Morgan, a therapist in training with a focus on trauma and abusive relationships. We ask her all sorts of questions, including discussing some of Jen's behaviors to get her take. As always, pictures and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story that you want us to cover, want to tell us that we're wrong, or just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And if you want to get in on the fun, you can come join us on our Discord server. We're mostly talking about video games. Link can be found on our contact page. We also have a merch store, so link can also be found on our website. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. That next month, I got my diagnosis, and I shut my screen. <laughs> Sorry. Let me just ruin everything. It's totally fine. We can cut this out. That's what, you know, post-editing is, right? So. Yes! I love editing. It will seem so smooth and cool. <laughs> no one will even know. <laughs> Where did it go?